0: afternoon and good evening everyone. Welcome to the Tinder Bundle and I'm your host the Wandering of Ad. Now this is a place where people come together to kindle their flame of faith. Now as you all know we are going through a little Bible study and yes uh, we are a little bit delayed. Last week there was none set out. It's been very chaotic in my world for God be glorified, I'm still here, so I'm here to continue our study in Genesis 1, and what we are looking at is reading the Bible in its historical context, and I'm hoping that this Bible study will be able to help us all grow in the Word, not just for how we can hom- homiletically or apply it to our everyday life, but learning what the original authors were writing and how it was received by the original audience. So before we begin to open and dig into the word, let's have a word of prayer. Great and heavenly God, Lord, we just ask of you, continue with us, guide us that we may grow in you as we study your scriptures. Pray these words in no other name but the mighty name of Yeshua, our Savior. Amen. So let's begin. First, we're going to start with a recap of where we have been. Now, this is episode three upon these uh, podcasts and what we've been touching on. If you remember, we were looking at um, here in Bereshit, what we call Genesis. We were looking at the fact that this book here is made to reestablish the Hebrew identity as a chosen people. Not only that, it is to develop a new culture for a freed people, people who have spent over 400 plus years in bondage. Now, the scriptures are being written in a language that they also have to reacquaint themselves with. For we even see this in the language of the Bible, for instance. Though when we look at our Bible today, we might see uh well most of us are seeing an english translation but when you're even looking at the manuscript you're going to see these hebrew words but when you stretch far enough back you're going to paleo hebrew and then when you look back at the words actually being used you realize of the canaanite applications even some egyptian applications of words in there and so we have to take all of that into the context of what is going on through these people who are freed We realize Genesis 1 as we are uh, going through it, this here is a cosmology. And it is written so they know their origins. And in addition to that, it's also a disputation against the Egyptian gods. We're first introduced in the beginning. If you remember that famous verse, Bereshit Barat Elohim, Et va et ha'aretz. Bereshit Barat Elohim, In the beginning created God, Elohim. So, we are introduced to the Elohim, the creator, the great creator of the universe. And within there, it announced, He creates everything on this world, as in the Aretz, the earth, but also everything in the Hashemayim, the heavens above. What we also see is this Elohim, his spirit, comes and moves upon a primordial chaotic water. Tovu Vahohu is a great chaotic mess. A mix of everything. If we were to try and... um. If I were to try and think of it in any way, it was almost like imagine a hurricane hit a place and it has been decimated and everything scattered or to even bring it closer. Imagine you took all the natural elements from the periodic table, jumbled them all together, but didn't link them with their binds so that they are not forming chemicals the way that we would see them. The great mess that we are going to see and we see that God after hovering over and looking upon this he comes over and he gives permission for the light of life the energy that fuels the thing that's going to let everything tick he gives this light of life permission to go over into that chaos and that day of permission, that day of beginning the organization is Yom Ehad, day one, which begins to present to us the introduction of a 24-hour, or what we would understand as a 24-hour cycle for time created for a day. And through this term, day, we would understand it. Holds together with a erev and a erev and bakor, a evening and morning, but the light part of the day would be uh, the yom, and layllo will be the night. The dark times will be the night, and now we continue in to this story, and we're going to be moving on to verses three through five is it three for five i believe three through five no forgive me we're going to start at verse six because we've already conquered let there be light if you want to see those videos let me just quickly remind you you have the two other videos the before we begin as well as the beginning which talks about uh the first stages and letting there be light and now we move on uh we're going to primarily read these in English, but whenever we need to tap into the Hebrew words, we're going to uh, tap into these expressions because they help us sometimes see certain things that our English don't let us see. So it says, and Elohim said, let there be a rakhia. Now, rakhia, some translations have this in so many ways. Some say a firmament, some say an expanse, some say like a dome. What we have is something that creates a separation. And so within that separation, this separation, this rakya is going to take place in the midst of the mayim. Now, interesting, it's at this point when we look at um, that it is in the midst of, of the Mayim, this Mayim, which is water, what we have here is that primordial water that was a mess. There is this space and expanse, something to divide the waters from the each each other. So on that same waters, it says, Let it divide the Mayim from the bot from Mayim. So it's almost as if the expanse has gone between and it's lifting one up, lift pushing one down, and it is staying in the middle, which leads us to what verse 7 says. And Elohim made Raqia to divide the waters under the Raqia, from the waters which were above the Raqia, above the firmament. And it was so. Now, so what we're beginning to see here as we look at this is we're seeing the formation of the atmosphere. And not only are they seeing the formation of the atmosphere, this begins to line up with what science has learned to understand. Now, I'm not saying the time sequence of modern-day science coincides with the Bible belief, because we know that's not necessarily true. But what we do see is uh, science has looked back and seen at a certain point in time there was a division between waters above what we would call our sky or by our ozone layer and stuff and then there's the waters below which is where we dwell. Now these waters and the expanse with the water on top kind of follows the model that would permit certain things like the greenhouse effect that was taking place in, I believe they called it the Ice Age or whatnot, though I believe their timing is wrong. But what they are showing you is, for example, if there was a certain layer of water above the sky, now whether it was frozen or not, that is unknown, but if there was this layer, the sun, when penetrating, would allow the land to become way more fertile because it has this greenhouse effect over the land. In addition to that, for example, according to what uh, archaeologists and those uh, the scientists who deal with, I forget what they're called, the so one who deal with the dinosaurs, paleontologists, maybe I'm wrong. But they claim, for example, many of the dinosaur birds like the pterodons, pterodactyls would not be able to fly because of the pressure of the air we have today. But that pressure would have changed if we had another layer of water above. Plus, the ozone effect would be much different. So what we do see, though, more or less, though, is being expressed to the children of Israel was in this creation, when Elohim, your God, came and started putting everything into order, one of the first things he did was separated the waters, and he gave waters above and waters below. Now, what is rather interesting, we're going to find this out in verse 8. It says, And Elohim called the rachia shamayim Now, what is interesting here is in this verse here, when he calls it shamayim, he doesn't call it the hashamayim, but it's just a shamayim, as in just the sky. He's not speaking of anything above it. He's saying that little space above, though some translations would say heaven, it is more referring to what more modern translations would call the sky, because it is not the hashamayim. He's not talking about all the heavens in its sense but just one layer and then he follows with and erav and Boker were yom shani day two the second day see what we begin to see here is in ancient israel first and foremost when it says Shemaim, we notice it's a plural Though the Rakhia itself, this expanse that goes above the waters, they're referring to the sky. The reason why the sky, because at that point, there was three heavens in ancient Israel's mindset. There was the heavens that was what we call sky. Then there is the heaven above the the next layer of water, or what we would call space. And then there is the next heaven, which we would call God's dwelling place. Now, they understood this, and they could understood by the context of how it is written, that Elohim was creating the sky, this rakya he's talking about, is the sky in which they move and breathe their air. Now, how does this relate towards why Moses would also be contending with the Egyptians' gods. Well, let's begin to remember. The Egyptian god, we've already dealt with Nun, who was the primordial water that gives birth to many things. But they had the divine pair, the first divine pair that is given birth. Uh, Now, we're going to skip over the sun god because this will come back up later. But because the sun god, he wills himself... But the next divine pair that is created is the god Shu and the god Tefna. Now Shu was the god of the air. Tefna was the god of moisture. So right here, they are being called into place because Israel would have heard because they would have seen it on the many buildings they have put together the understanding of the Egyptian creation story. So they would have had a conflicting divide of who exactly created these things because they're under their slavery as they've been assimilated into the Egyptian culture and stuff as a slave nation over time. Mind you, at the beginning, it wasn't that way. But by the later half, that's what they became. They did get mingled in with their philosophy. So... They're seeing Moses write about, don't think that this divine pair was something that was created on its own, but your God is the creator of shoe or the air, and your God is the creator of moisture. These crea- uh, these divine pairs, here's, here's a neat little thing, and we're going to see how this plays out in the next couple of verses. This divine pair would give birth to a set of twins. I shouldn't say a set of twins. To a pair of twins either way which would make another divine pair or the second divine pair and their names were geb and not now geb was the god of the earth we're going to get back to that and not was the god of the sky and these two by chance give birth to four children and the four children who we will tap back into these a little bit later as well, but the four children that they give uh, birth to is Osiris, who's the oldest, and Osiris is known. We'll get back to what Osiris is known for. There is Osiris. He gives. Uh, they give birth to Isis. They give birth to Set, and they give birth to Neptis. Now, these four will be popping up and some of them will play a pivotal role in the next couple of verses. But in total, there are nine gods. Those, these four, the two pairs, and then the one god of the sun. That nine is called the primeval gods, also known as the Aeneid. And this Aeneid was their top of their pantheon for their gods. And the unique thing that happens also within those four we just mentioned is Osiris is going to marry his sister Isis in which they will begin to rule over the land. Which land? This will be Egypt. You'll see how this all comes to play. One thing though that Moses is trying to let the children of Israel know is that those gods that they heard of were not gods but were tools that were created by their God that had something to do. In addition, there's something interesting about this creation day. Though these things, uh, though these elements, this firmament, going back, we're moving away from the gods here, going back to the firmament, though the firmament itself separates the water, had no purpose within itself yet. It had no function. And this is what makes this verse so unique because you'll notice in this passage. Let's go back. What does it say? And Elohim called the uh the firmament, heaven, and erev and bokur were Yom Shani, day two. He does not anywhere say, and it was good. And the reason why he does not suggest day two was good is because it did not serve a function or a purpose. And one of the things we are going to find out is goodness comes from having a purpose, having a function. This is what brings you out of chaos or uselessness. At the moment, it was just a space. Now, moving on to verse 9, it says, And Elohim said, Let Hamayim. Now, here's what's interesting Hamayim, let the waters. So now he's speaking about all these waters that are left. Now, where are these waters? It says, Under Hashamayim, the heavens. So now he's saying, under all the heavens so we know this is now talking about under the first second and third heavens so this is the water that is close down on below the firmament let those waters be gathered together onto one place and let yabasha yabasha is like dirt dry land because if you remember oh well it says let the Yabasha appear, and it was so. If you remember right now, the water that is on the ground is a muddle of things. It Remember, we're going into Tovu Vahohu. We're going into the mess and starting to organize the mess. So he's going into that hurricane scenario, that muddy scenario, and slowly separating the elements so they can be where their function is most optimal for this creation. You see what we are beginning to see here is how the ancient worlds seen earth. They didn't see it how we see it today, but they would have seen it, that all land was in one section, one great piece of land, and it was surrounded by a body of water because the land is gathered together, and then around it is a great chasm of water, which we would call an ocean. There is a firmament, a dome on top of this. And so we are beginning to get the picture of what their world looked like in their mind. Yes, for some of those who are wondering, This land is not a full globe, so this is promoting, in their worldview, a flat earth model. It was a flat earth, water along the edges surrounding the earth, and then a dome over the top. And on that dome over the top, above the dome, was water. Whether it was solidified or not, we can't go that far to understand that but we know there is some form of water on the top and then there's this water and below that has now been separated by yabasha the land and then what does he say in verse 10 and elohim called the yabasha aretz he calls this dry land this dirt this he calls it earth aretz is like earth the dirt the land we would know it as earth the same thing that we will now call all of the globe because that's what he's referring to he's not talking just necessarily a piece of land he's talking all the land there and the mikvah now the mikvah we see that as uh the gatherings of water what a mikvah is it's like a hope it's like a well it's like a reservoir of water uh something holding little pockets so the gathering together of waters and he calls them seas and the Elohim saw that it was Tov. See you notice here now, now that he's beginning to bring purpose out of the mess as in separating so that it can have a use for something else he calls it good. And then what we also notice is the land that is there, all collected together, it's going to have pockets of little bodies of water within it. But it is still one major piece of land. As a matter of fact, this kind of uh, feeds, feeds into that ancient concept of the supercontinent that they called Pangaea. For, for those of us who know history and how they believe the world looked in the ancient times and funny enough we do see this in some ancient maps they believed all the continents were collected together in one and so being collected together in one this is what allowed the great journeys to take place in the ancient world some people always ask well if um It was very true that the earth is so young, how and God created people in Eden and stuff like that. How did people get to South America? How did people get to China? How did people where if we follow the theme that they are presenting here, it was one great landmass, so it's just about how far you traverse the land. But anyways, let's not get ahead of each other because we will come back to that later down the line. But what we're seeing is, once again, this same kind of supercontinent idea surrounded by great water. Now, verse 11 would say, And Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth vegetation, the herb-yielding zerah seed, the recreating product of every plant, and the fruit tree-yielding So they're defining what type of tree it is, but it's not just a type of tree. It's going to produce pre fruit. It's going to produce something you can eat of flesh. And so what we have is we've got. The vegetables that have a seed to keep growing that can be eaten and then something a little bit different than just the greens. But we have something that is like a fruit that can be taken in. And all these different types of fruits for it says, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself. So now you've got the herbs or these greens that grow and they have their seeds, how they scatter them normally through their flowers. But in regards to the fruit tree, the unique thing is the seed of a fruit tree would be found in the fruit And then it says, okay, after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Everything, first off, is being called into maturity. So these aren't just little seeds. God, when he calls them out, he calls them out as mature products, now ready to reproduce. This brings us back a little bit looking at the land, looking at um, the vegetation coming. Remember that second divine pair I spoke about, Geb and Not? Well, Geb was the god of the earth. And when they gave birth to their children, Osiris was the god of vegetation and agriculture. He was symbolized as the sim, this god is symbolized as the god of fertility, one who rejuvenates the Nile, and the Nile is where they believed is what fertile made Egypt so fertile. So Isis, and the reason why Isis will come in a little bit later, but we'll mention this now. Isis, which is the Greek name for this god, the Egyptians would have called uh, this god Aset is the god of the moon, which symbolized magic and healing and also symbolized the birthing experience, the coming forth experience. Now, what's interesting about that is the moon has been something that they believe creates. The ancient world believed the moon helps dictate how our minds think. Things that happens to us. They even watched how when the moon came around, it changed the way the normal world was functioning. For example, high tides come at high noon. This is almost where this is where we get the word lunatic from, from lunar, because they believe the pull of the moon pulled upon your body and your mind that made you go crazy. So they believe there was a lot of power in the moon because it can alter the course of things. So, and remember, take note, Isis, the god of vegetation and agriculture, marries Aset, or Isis, his sister, the god of the moon. So coming back down towards this day here, what we see is everything being birthed into maturity on this land. Now, what the Egyptians were teaching through their thing was the land and creation began with the Egyptian land and Osiris and Isis, but Osiris would be the great king of Egypt for they believed that was the birthplace of their civilization. And Egypt was known to be a very fertile place. It by chance had many or certain rivers that ran very close through it. And in this It made it very fertile. You'll even read, or we will read later, how Egypt was the place to go to survive the famines. But at the same time, Egypt would become a place, a a, a very heavy place of transaction. People coming in and out, there was a lot of transaction. So it became a very highly populated, highly civilized, culturized place. Now, What we are seeing here is that these ancient Egyptian gods were just tools for the foundation of the earth created by Elohim, Israel's God. Moses is uh, illustrating to Israel that your God, Israel's God, was far greater than all of these gods because he's the one putting these things in place. And it is these people who have misunderstood what those things are by turning them into God when they are just elements in Elohim's creation. Now moving on to uh, verse 12. And the earth brought forth vegetation and herb yielding seed uh, after its kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after its kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. You see, one unique thing that Israel is also seeing here. God speaks. God says, do this, and they will watch creation do it, based on the command of their god there was never a question and the way they looked at this then was their god was a god of words and a powerful word their god could speak anything into being and if he spoke it it would take place now coming back to this text what does god note what do we notice about when god sees the earth Carrying forth its function by producing fruit, we see he says it was good. Because now the earth is doing something with purpose. And verse 13 says, And the Erev and the boker, the evening and the morning, were Yom Shleshli, day three, or the third day. So, this brings us down to the close of the third day. What we have are days two and three. A quick wrap up of what we've seen here. We've seen that God came to the water, seen there was a met. He permits light. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And we, as we searched open, we recognized this light was a primordial light, something greater than just a illuminating body. And then once he has his light and he creates time, for we notice he creates time in this, he has space created in this, he has matter that he's now working with, what we begin to see is he comes into that matter. He comes below the rakia, below... The, onto the first heaven looks upon the waters and starts organizing the waters by drying out the land. And as he draws out the land, he lets the land begin to produce fruits and vegetables, things that will make it fertile. Why? Because God is setting up a purpose and a home and a place that will serve for other things to come in that will use them. I call this part of the biological machine of earth. Now, when we reach day four, we're going to start tapping into other gods that get attacked by Elohim through the words of Moses. But what we have to recognize here, bringing this full circle is Israel is now being reminded or reintroduced that these gods that they have been falling for, because we are going to learn they fell for them later down the line while we're reading certain scriptures we're going to see they have a problem letting go old gods but what moses is trying to do while rebuilding their culture rebuilding their identity as a peculiar people is tell them your god did it all and your god delivered you so you don't need any of those other gods for you have the one true god who has done all you need so my friends I believe this is going to wrap up our session for today. I don't know. I didn't get to check the time how long we've been uh, going for. But what we just want to be able to wrap up here is this is true for all of us, too. The God who created everything is a God who wants to create order in your life, too. So, never be afraid to ask him to put things in order. Help you get out of the chaos. For if he can put this world together, yes, this world had a designer, and his name is the yod He vov He, I will call him Hashem. Some people wanna try and call him Yahweh or Jehovah, he is elohim the creator he is the one true god the i am that i am he is the creator of the universe and he is the god of abraham isaac and jacob he is the your god he is our god and i hope all of us can see he desires to create in our lives order for his purpose his function, and his glory. But before I take any more time in, this is the whole entire point so far. As we're seeing step by step, what Moses is doing is deconstructing the purposes of those other gods they heard about and reconstructing the way the world was created through Elohim, the great creator. Well, I'm happy you were able to join today. I had a fabulous time and I hope you did too. I thank you for joining us today, and I pray you are blessed by our study, and I look forward to you joining us, which will shortly come out soon, day four. Now, once again, I'm your host, The Wandering Avad, and today's study was brought to you by... The Anima Project. The Anima Project is a humanitarian service out there seeking all who may be displaced or have become homeless in our societies. And if you like what you heard, please share, like, subscribe, leave a comment in the sections. And I'm trying my best to learn how to get to these comments. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast, if you ever have any other questions, feel free to drop a question. Link is in the email. You can catch us at thetinderbundle at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for joining us. And this has been the Tinder Bundle. And before you go, remember, my friends, be fruitful, be blessed, and be safe. Godspeed, my friends.